Awesome. So last week, um, I started on a, maybe a two, three, ten-part kind of series uh, called From Foundation to Fruitfulness. And so really this idea of what it looks like to build our lives on the right foundation or as maybe adults come back and, and rebuild some of the foundations. Um, and then how do we kind of uh, really live our lives in and grow in that place up into a place of fruitfulness, recognizing that if we start with the wrong foundation, we'll get a poor structure in the end. Uh, interestingly, I, I caught up with Richard Walker. Some of you know Richard and Jane, and uh, he's actually working with a guy who, uh, and they've developed this system of jacks that can actually lift houses up. And so the idea is that you'd build the first floor of a house and then these hydraulic jacks lift it up and then you build the second floor underneath. Um, so even now, in the, in the natural, it's possible to rebuild foundations. So um, the blessing of, of the power of Jesus is that even if your life has been built on the worst of foundations, he can come in supernaturally and, uh, and build in life, take out poor structures. And so um, I've got a little diagram all right, so the first part of, um, of this idea of building a foundation in your life, the foundation is, so the foundation is laid by the apostles and the prophets. This is a biblical scripture that it talks about, and then it's established by the fivefold ministers gifted to the church, Ephesians 4.11. Next one. And we see, so built and laid by the apostles and the prophets is this idea of kingdom DNA is laid in the foundation. Now, this is in the church, but also in our understanding individually as people. And then the fivefold ministry establishes Christ's likeness at an individual level. So we have a corporate understanding of what the kingdom of God looks like. And it has a culture. It has a DNA. It's not something that we decide. Uh, often churches can sometimes just... Uh, establish themselves and promote a value or, or have a structure or a system that in the end really is about reaching the goals that they desire. So we, we form the church and the flavor of the church because we want to reach lots of people. Uh, the problem sometimes with that is that we can diminish essential elements of the church or the kingdom or the gospel in order to draw people in. The, we take out all of the offensive bits and we take out maybe the power of God and we take out anything that people don't kind of make a, mm, you know, I, don't, I don't know about that, and we make it palatable for people. Uh, but the problem is there's certain elements that if you take them out, it's no longer the kingdom. It's no longer the church. Uh, it's, it's built by God specifically in that way. So we understand that there's... Uh, DNA that gets formed that exists in the kingdom of God and the apostles and prophets lay that first layer of foundation. So, an, so the church is an apostolic people and a prophetic people primarily. Okay, So an apostolic, a missional family is tied into the apostolic mothering and fathering in that way, raising up sons and daughters, that kingdom foundation. There's lots of elements that the apostolic releases in. And then the prophetic as well, a covenant people, covenant people to God, um, the voice of God being heard, encouragement, affirmation, building up, and that sort of stuff. So there's the corporate element. And then Christ-likeness um, is at for every single individual, the idea of the fivefold ministry, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher is Christ. So Jesus is all five of those molded into one. And so the role then, the role of apostles isn't to go and plant churches. 
um, necessarily. The role of prophets isn't to prophesy. The, the primary role in that equipping sense isn't for evangelists to evangelize. It isn't for teachers to teach. It isn't for shepherds to shepherd. It's for apostles to raise up an apostolic people. It's for prophets to raise up a prophetic people. It's for evangelists to raise up an evangelistic people. Because if you go out and say, well, I'm just an apostle, so I'll just go and do apostolic things, um, but you're not doing it in the nature of Christ, if you're not doing it prophetically and evangelistically and, and with a teaching dynamic and a shepherding dynamic, there's a, there's a distortion. You're taking one element of Jesus and going out and reproducing that, okay? But we're supposed to be reproducing Christ-like people. More little Jesuses going on and on and on. That's a very brief overview. You can get the... I'll put the audio up this week, hopefully, um, when I get around to it or when we build our audiovisual technical team of people so I don't have to edit audio. There we go. Uh, one thing I was, I was thinking about last night is when we talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is a supernatural reality, but it's also a natural reality. It's a manifest reality. So Jesus, the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the reality is the kingdom of God is a heavenly reality that exists only in the supernatural realm. Okay, But it is also designed by God to be a manifest reality on the earth so that it would go from being in heaven and manifesting itself on earth. Okay? So to enter the kingdom is to do so spiritually. So when we enter the kingdom, we are born again and we enter into the kingdom of God. But then once I enter in spiritually, my role now is to manifest it in reality, is to bring the kingdom of God and see it come so that the earth starts to look like heaven. The earth, the kingdom of God starts to be manifest, tangible for people to engage with. So when Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. And people said, really? He said, yes, let me show you. And so there was healings and deliverance and freedom for people, miracles, signs and wonders. There was a manifest reality of the kingdom of God. It wasn't a theoretical thing. Jesus didn't say, hey, come here, pray this prayer, and then go about your everyday life with the hope that one day you'll go to heaven. He said, no, it was, it was an expectation of a tangible encounter with the reality of God and his kingdom. So as a born-again kingdom resident, then we are to go out and manifest the kingdom. So if our focus is just on getting people into the kingdom spiritually and not manifesting the kingdom, the kingdom of God remains theoretical in that sense. So again, if our primary focus is on, not on making disciples and bringing the kingdom, but on just getting souls saved, getting them to pray, pray, getting them into the kingdom, people don't have an encounter with the reality of God. They pray a prayer, they say, yes, yes to Jesus, yes, I want to go to heaven, Yes, I want eternal life. And they continue on, but they don't actually enter into the manifest reality of the kingdom of God. They don't experience the power of God. So when Paul talks about, you know, my words were not with, you know, I didn't come with eloquent words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the power of God, the manifest power of God, that your faith might not rest in the words, of, in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. There was a manifestation of the reality of that kingdom. And I think a lot of the church gets stuck in this, the spiritual reality of the kingdom and not the manifest reality of the kingdom. So we want to get people spiritually into the kingdom. We don't want to get the kingdom into the world. Is this making sense? Yep. Okay, it, it felt like a revelation to me, but um, clearly you guys are, I'm catching up to you. Um, 
The manifest kingdom is an apologetical tool for people to engage with. It's a reality to encounter in the spirit, but also in its manifest state. So apologetics is what we talk about, you know, uh, using kind of words and arguments and language to proclaim the gospel to people. That's the thing. But so the reality is the manifestation of the kingdom. So the spiritual kingdom becoming manifest, heaven coming to earth, is a tool where people can engage and see the reality of God. So when you, when Cher prays for her friend and the pain leaves her body, that's a manifestation of the reality of the kingdom of God. It's not saying, hey, there's this, you know, spiritual reality over here. You can you can just pray and you'll you'll in some way enter into it spiritually, but you won't have actually experienced the reality of it. And a lot of Christians live like that. A lot of you know that's that's a lot of people's experiences never really encountering God in that sense. So they spiritually they're spiritually born again. And the, and the kingdom comes and lives inside of them, but it never comes out of them. So the apostolic and the prophetic build the foundation for the manifestation of the kingdom. Heaven on earth is not a theory, but an expected reality. The kingdom is heaven on earth. So when Jesus said, go and proclaim the kingdom, go and tell people, go and release it, go and see the expansion of the kingdom of God, it was that heavenly reality becoming an earthly, earthly reality. Awesome? All right. So again, if our lives aren't, if we don't have the right foundation laid, whatever gets built can be wobbly and fall down and it's not coming out of the right kind of culture and DNA. The next level is the calling. So the calling on an individual. And we have, again, a corporate and an individual. So the corporate calling on every single believer is to love God and love others and make disciples and release God's kingdom on the earth. Okay, So there's... Corporate reality is that it doesn't matter who you are. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you're called into that reality of loving God, loving people. Jesus doesn't specify that for some of you who are called in this way to do those things. And then we have an individual which is often revealed over time and it can be revealed primarily through the prophetic. So prophetic words, prophetic destiny released, that calling released on someone's life where it starts to go, yeah, this is your, your life is not just about you know, getting up, eating breakfast, going to work, coming home, you know, getting a house, buying a boat, doing whatever. Like, you might do those things, but that's not the calling that God, that's not the specific destiny that he has for your life. So I'm rushing through these because we talked about them last week. So next one is then the Holy Spirit gifts. And I want to talk a little bit more about this one and flesh it out a bit more. So the gifts or graces of the Holy Spirit. So uh, we get a lot of this from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So 12, 13, and 14 is the primary um, kind of chapters where Paul teaches on the use of the gifts in the church. Okay, so starting at, at 12. And Paul addresses the church, the Corinthian church, um, and he says, Now concerning the spiritual, and often in our translations it says, Concerning spiritual gifts, my, my brethren. Um, so the word gifts isn't actually in the Greek text. So it's just saying concerning the spiritual. And Paul is as well, on a side note, addressing an issue that had crept into the church called Gnosticism. Okay, so this is where people would, um, they talked about this higher kind of revelations that we can enter into spiritually and, and coming out of this, you know, the fleshly kind of basic things of the gospel and coming into this supernatural, you know, spiritual, you know, revel revelatory glory realm. And, uh, and so Paul is, is addressing that. So you'll see earlier on um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 uh, talks a lot about this where Paul says, you know, I... I uh, 
came to you and I proclaimed the Christ and him crucified. I desire to know nothing amongst you except Christ and him crucified. Okay, so Paul simplified the gospel for the Corinthian people, and he, a lot of that is this argument, drawing them back to the simplicity of the gospel. And Paul's saying, I didn't come with all fancy words, trying to be like a Greek kind of philosophical scholar and wow you with my wisdom. Paul's like, no, 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 because you guys were, you're, you're all off in, in this fairyland of deeper revelation, and Paul was needed to bring them back to the simplicity of the gospel. And I think he was often criticized that he was, it was so simplistic but profound yet simplistic in what he kind of taught. So coming up through here, so when Paul's talking about the spiritual, this is why he then addresses in uh, chapter 13, the love. You know 1 Corinthians 13? Yeah, love is patient, love is kind. Uh, we all know that. So again, Paul is referencing back. He's trying to teach them, look, there's a, there's a much more better way of, of living, and that is by love. So no matter what you do, you can be the most gifted person in the world. If you don't have love, it's useless. You're a clanging gong or a cymbal. But the word that we see gifts then translated in different parts of, that, of those chapters there is the word charisma. So charisma. Charis is grace. Yeah. So it's the outworking of grace. So we could say Holy Spirit gifts or we could say Holy Spirit graces. Okay. What is grace? It's the empowering presence of God. It's the reality of God present in a situation to empower you to do something that in your natural ability you wouldn't have been able to do or do anywhere near as well. So we understand that um, grace, and I think it's a much, more, um, a much more suitable word to use the word grace in that because I think it um, illustrates the point much better. And I, and I thought I would illustrate the point before you uh, with a paintbrush. And so, um, so Luke, would you like to be my, um, my, my model? So, if to say I was an amazing artist, I'm not an amazing artist. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm that's, yeah, that's one thing. Um, but, but imagine I was, and I had the gift of, of being an artist. Um, and, then, and then Luke wanted to be an artist as well. So this again, I'm, I'm the Holy Spirit being like an artist. I've got the paintbrush and I say, here, Luke, here's the paintbrush. Go and paint. And I so that's my paintbrush. It's anointed um, because I've used it to paint brushes. Now, if Luke was to go and then just start painting, is he going to paint in the same way that I would paint as an amazing artist? Luke has never done, he's done finger painting. That's as far as he excelled in school. Is Luke going to be as good as me as an accomplished many, many years of painting? No, he's not, okay? And that for me would be, if I gave him a gift, I would say, here's the gift, it's yours now, and I leave and you go on your way, okay? But for me, an illustration of grace would be if I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to release this to you, and I put it in your hand, and you hold it like a paintbrush, that's it, and then I was to do this, and then we'll just start to paint, okay? Now, was Luke going to paint like me, like an amazing artist? Yeah, much, much closer to that, Okay? And that, for me, is a better illustration of grace because it goes from, well, now all of a sudden that ability is released, but there's a connection that remains in that process. There's not a disconnection. It's not that he just runs off and, and has that to utilize for his own purposes, but there's a connection in that. And I believe that that's what... Thank you. Thank you, Luke. Yeah. 
So the graces are released, but there's still a connection. It's the Holy Spirit working out every time that you're walking in a Holy Spirit gift or a Holy Spirit grace. It's the Holy Spirit outworking that from you through your life. So the gifts aren't given to us as a possession. They are the outworking of God's power through us. It's the same Holy Spirit that releases the different graces in people's lives. And now this is what then Paul goes into in 1 Corinthians 12. Starting from verse 4, and he says, Now there are a variety of gifts, there are a variety of charisma, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So again, Holy Spirit graces are for the common good. They are for an outworking. They're not for personal gain. Yeah, they're not for... For anything, therefore, the common good, they are to be a blessing to others. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. So again, this is Paul refuting some of this kind of Gnostic uh, mentality, saying, no, it's all the same Holy Spirit. There's not lots of different spirits that are doing this. There's one Holy Spirit who is in all and empowering all in the same way. So the gifts, the graces come from the Holy Spirit. But again, they are built on a Christ-like people who understand the kingdom of God. They're not about building their empire. They're not about, you know, just, oh, I'll just ignore all of the character flaws in my life. No, they're doing a heart journey, a deep heart journey of getting this restored so that whatever is produced, then when my calling is applied to a Christ-like life, it doesn't get distorted. It doesn't have selfish ambition. Okay, God release, if God releases a word to someone and they go, oh yeah, I'm, I'm awesome, because prophetic words are often good, yeah? If you get a bad prophetic word, I haven't had one of those yet, but you know, you don't want bad prophetic words, um, but if, you know, they're generally good, they're, they're expansive, they're beyond your capacity of accomplishment, okay? But you get a great prophetic word, then you add selfish ambition to that. What's that going to do to that, that calling? It's going to skew it, it's going to distort it. Okay? It's going to defile it. And so all of a sudden, this thing of when God was, well, I wanted to use you for greatness, but you took that and you wanted to you know, apply that to yourself for your own greatness, not for the greatness of God. So you get people who then don't glorify God and they don't, yeah, you get what I'm saying in that? And then we add the gifts to that. So then you've got a people who are like Jesus, who understand the kingdom. They're not about self. They're about others. They're, they're operating in, the, in they're living out, loving God, loving people, making disciples, releasing his kingdom. They understand their individual calling. Okay? And now the graces of God get released upon them. Okay? Now, I'm not saying this is in order of how you must do it. I'm, this, for me, is in order of importance. If you have the most amazing prophetic gift and you don't love people, there's something wrong. If you have the, an amazing uh, teaching gift, but your character is way off Jesus, there's something wrong. And you're not going to do good things for God potentially that very grace that gets released by the Holy Spirit will be the thing that destroys you and other people. So don't rest on your gifts, your Holy Spirit gifts. Don't rest upon that grace. Rest upon the character of Christ, the righteousness of Jesus. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness. Seek first, number one, numero uno. I talk to people and, and we'll get on to natural giftings later, but people say, you know, I just want to, I can play guitar and I'd love to be, you know, like a famous guitarist or something like that. And, you know, and I'm like, that's great. 
And that could be a God desire in you. My encouragement to you is seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Because <laughs> if God has got that for you, he will take care of your prophetic destiny. You be faithful, he'll be fruitful. So you just rest in him and say, okay, God, I'm going to go and I'll, I'll be working on my character. Because that stuff, that's the stuff that kills you. <laughs> and that's when you know you're serious about God, when you're willing to go through that ongoing journey of death of self in order that the life of God might come through. So graces from God are designed for the advancement of the kingdom and not for just serving in the church or having Holy Spirit glory parties. They're good too. So when built upon an apostolic and prophetic foundation, the gifts of Holy Spirit get used in the right way for the right purpose. And I don't mean that they're not to be used in here, but there's a greater apostolic purpose for the gifts to be released. So it's everywhere that you go because they're upon your life. So as the CEO of a company and you've got a prophetic gift, well, guess what? God wants to utilize that in that place. You know, you're, just, you're, a, you're a stay-at-home mom and you're in a neighborhood and you've got neighbors and God releases a grace for healing or a grace for shepherding or a grace for evangelism, whatever that might be. Those specific graces that get released upon you, they are for everywhere that you go. It's not, well, I'm going to save them all up and then do them on a Sunday. And some, this is a good place to practice because it's safer. You know, if you feel like, well, I feel like maybe God wants me to, has given me this prophetic grace. Well, I'll, I'll try it on some people who, you know, are a bit, that can give me some feedback. You know, they're not going to reject me or something like that. So it's a good practice place. But again, a lot of what we do here is to equip you as you go. And it's out there that they're, that they're designed to live. But again, if we are built upon a, the wrong kind of foundation, then we won't be, understand that we are a sent people. Holy Spirit's, uh, I said this last week, Holy Spirit graces can be poured out on anyone, but they are designed to be poured out on those like Christ. Holy Spirit will release them onto anyone, but the best way is for them to be released upon those who are pursuing Christ-likeness. God empowers us for a purpose. If he releases a grace upon your life, he intends for you to use it. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's stewards, sorry, as good stewards of God's varied grace. So you see there again more. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as, God, as good stewards of God's varied grace. So there's the word again. I'm just clarifying. Um, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Amen. So Paul's saying, if there's a grace released upon your life, use it. God has intended for you to use that. And, it might, and it'll be in a varied kind of way of doing so, but God wants you to use it. And again, your intention isn't about finding places about finding Christ and in your character, doing a heart journey. All right. 1 Corinthians 12, I think it's 12, uh, starting at verse 31. So then again, this is the most important thing in everything when it comes to the graces of God being released upon your life. Paul says, um, earnestly desire the higher gifts, so he talks about God is appointed in the church, first apostles, then prophets, then teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues, that sort of thing. So then he goes on, earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. 
So Paul's saying, so seek after the, the gifts, the graces of God to be used by him for the advancement of his kingdom, for the blessing of people. But there is a higher and more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Wow. I mean, Paul's talking about significant men. You, you've got the faith that can move a mountain. You can understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge. But Paul's like, if it's not love, you've you got squat. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then Paul goes on to explain what love is. Love is patient, love is kind. That's what love looks like. That's what you look like in Christ. You look patient, you look kind, slow to anger about, you know, like you, that's what our lives are to look like in Christ. But the significance of understanding, and that's why when you get a, a life built on this and this and this, then, you, then when the grace is released, it's on love, because it's on a lover of God and a lover of people. So we don't have to worry about that. You know, we're not going to get rebuked when we read Paul's letter to the Corinthians because we've got love. There's an abundance of love. I wrote here, if you want to impress me, show me your love, not your gifts. The gifts of God should not impress us because they don't belong to us. It's not an accomplishment for someone to be gifted in the spirit. To love well is impressive. For me, you know, that's... Uh, my heart would be, I would, I would want to be somebody that people would go, yeah, you know, Brad, he wasn't the best preacher. You know, he wasn't the best, you know, guitar player. Wasn't this? Hey? But he, but he loved well. You want to be successful in life, love well. According to Paul, even in all the supernatural glory stuff, love well. And you'll accomplish something significant. And I understand that there's a value set in the church that would say, oh no, you do all of these things, you'll be, you'll be impressive. Loving well is probably not going to get you, you know, an itinerant you know, ministry speaking tour around the world at all the big conferences. You know, Hillsong's not going to ring you up, hey, we've heard that you love well. Um, would you like to come and be, you know, keynote speaker at our next conference? And it's not, a, it's not a dig at Hillsong. I'm just saying it's not, it's not the primary thing that we look for in people. Okay? But it seems to be primary for Paul. It certainly seemed to be primary for Jesus. Learn to love well. Because in loving well, in doing that process, there's such a refinement that comes out of loving well. Love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. That's what loving well looks like. Who's ever tried to do that? Yeah, it's painful, isn't it? It's revealing and exposing. But it does something that opens you up for the, for the Spirit of God to come in, to bring healing, to bring restoration, to uproot all the sin and the brokenness in your life. A life li built on a foundation of love. Uh, Paul talks to Romans 12, um, verse 4, for, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. So there's a unity there, and we're individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. 
So again, this is more encouragement to use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith is service in serving, that the one who teaches in his teaching, to the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So again, for Paul, as much as he's saying, you know, there's these higher gifts, and yes, desire those things, but operate in the grace that is upon your life. Operate in the gift set. Just what God has given you, run in that. Okay, and don't look upon others. Stop, no, don't compare yourself with a gifting that somebody else might have that you really, really want. Because you're not going to then utilize the grace that God has given you. And your hands are, might be full of gifts, and so God can't pour anything else out into your life because you're full. <laughs> and you're not being obedient with what He's given you. So coming back to um, God's grace, his favor. So grace and favor are translated from the same word in the, in the Greek text of the Bible. As I said before, this word charis means grace. But where you see the word favor as well, it's often translated as favor. God's grace is his empowering uh, presence. God's grace is more important than your abilities. In God's grace, we can accomplish far more than our abilities would allow us to. Ability contains within it the reality of weakness. In grace, there is no weakness. So even in the greatest ability, there's still weakness. Okay, in the natural. But in grace, there is no weakness. Because Paul says, 2 Corinthians 12, God said to me, my grace, my empowering presence is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. I need a sweat rag. Grace gives you the capacity to accomplish things that you would otherwise not be able to accomplish in the natural. It's a supernatural empowerment to accomplish the plans and purposes of God. And we must learn to lean into grace. When grace isn't flowing, then you may have stepped out of the river. And this is something of understanding and, and getting familiar with the grace of God. When there's just a flow and an ease and His grace is flowing, for me, it, it feels like you, it's an experiential reality. Okay? You might feel like a grace for a person to, to minister to them over a length of time. You might find a grace in an activity. You might, it's just this empowerment to, to go and do something that, man, in my natural strength, I wouldn't feel, be able to do that. In my natural ability, I wouldn't feel like I could accomplish those things. But a grace can, comes upon you. And as we become familiar with that, then we start to recognize as well that, oh, Okay, I've stepped out of that flow of grace. I'm not, I'm not flowing easily down the river of grace, and so I must have climbed out onto the shore and started working in my own strength. Okay? But there is a grace to be released for you, and sometimes, even in our, our calling and what God has for us, grace can be a guide. Because when we start doing things with, oh, I'd really love to do that, and we go and do it, and it's just a struggle, and it's, it's closed door after closed door. It's, you know, it's, it's just hardship and struggle. Now, if God's called you and said, this is, this is your destiny for you, it's being confirmed by multiple prophetic words, and you're getting closed, or it might just be a timing issue, okay? So stay where the grace is and do what he has for you in that time and wait for the doors to open. And again, this grace will open doors. Favor will open doors for you that you would not be able to open. I think I uh, caught up with a guy this week, and uh, he's a you know, really great musician, and um, he's you know, studying at the uh, West Australian Performing Arts 
academy and all of that sort of stuff. And that's really an environment that has a heightened focus on skill and ability. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really prominent there because you want to be the best that you can be. And you've got to be good to, to get into the university in the first place, but then how do you function in that place? And, and my encouragement to him was, again, to, to rely on grace because even if you have a lot of natural ability, God might say, but I want you to go over here and use it in a way, in a, in a different way, or not even use how gifted you are and then go over in this way. You know, I know for me, I have... Um, uh, you know, I'd be what they call a jack of all trades. And so I have, a, I have a, an ability to do lots of things. Now, I don't feel like I excel in any area, but I have an ability to do lots of different things. And that's hard sometimes to identify what your passion is. It's also hard to stay focused on one task. So often my weeks... Um, you know, I'm literally like this Friday, I met with people and then I was like sending some emails Then Mitch and I had a, like a worship practice. And then and then as I'm as I'm about to leave, I'm, I'm installing paper towel dispensers in the in the bathrooms, you know. And so that's, that's things sometimes for me. I was like, I, I like it. it keeps me entertained doing lots of different things. But in that, it's still you've got to find that flow of grace. So, you know, just because I could do lots of things doesn't mean I should be doing lots of things because there's a there's a. You know, there's like a, if there's multiple taps, there's a tap that's running, okay, that I'm supposed to go and stand under and not, you know, try everyone and go every, everywhere, okay? Sometimes that's hard if you're, well, I can assure you it'll be difficult if you're performance oriented because you won't stop long enough to know what grace feels like. It's not in my notes, so that's for somebody. <laughs> Sometimes we face hardship because of the trials of life designed to refine us and make us more like Jesus. But sometimes we face hardship because we're not flowing in the river of his grace. We're coming against opposition because we've stepped out of grace. So no longer are the doors just flying open. So allow the favor or the grace of God to open up doors and opportunity for you. All right, so then the next level we have built upon that is your natural abilities. Okay, so abilities that you were born with and skills that you've developed over time. Now, this is important. This is part of who you are. It's part of how God has designed you. You know, if you are an athlete, then God may have designed your body physiologically in a way that performs well in athletic abilities. Okay, so there's different things. You might just have a natural, you know, an artistic skill that really was from a young child. You could see that, you know, coming through. Or maybe just as an adult, you've kind of learned how to do things. Things you were born with, skills that you've learned. So we mustn't confuse our ability with our calling. Sometimes they will align and sometimes they won't. And I said here, especially if you're a jack of all trades, this can be confusing. I remember um, a guy from Bethel, Paul Manwaring, I remember a teaching that he did. And he talked about this thing of passion and he drew like a graph. And often people will have like one or two passions and things that they're really passionate about. So they're not really passionate about anything else, but that they're really passionate about and this thing over here really passionate about. Whereas for me, a jack of all trades generally has a, a level of, of passion about lots of things. So then it's hard to know like, oh man, I'm, I'm not really into stuff. And I know um, I talk about my brother-in-law is somebody who just... Like, he'll get into something, and he'll get right into something. And I, and I, I get envious. Like, oh, man, I wish I could spend, like, more than a day being interested about something before I'm on to the next thing. You know, and he will. Like, it might be photography, and he'll just, like, for weeks, he'll just be into photography. And that's always the thing for me. Probably, you know, I'd be like, yeah, I want to play guitar. Mom, can I get a guitar and, you know, play it for a day, and then I'm bored, and I want something else, you know. Um, 
So there's, there's, it's harder to identify in that even in your natural abilities. Well, God, what do you want me to utilize for your purpose and your glory? But again, if we're, if we're recognizing where the grace is flowing, that can help to identify some of those things. God may call you into a situation or a field that you don't have the natural abilities for, but by his grace, God will open up doors for you. So this young guy is at university as a musician. I was encouraging him. I said, like, yes, practice and be diligent in all of those things. But if you're seeking first his kingdom and righteousness, you might not be the most skilled musician, but you might be the most influential musician because the Lord, you'll rely on him to open those doors, his grace and favor, you know? Um, if you look in the, in the music scene, obviously it's, it's corrupt in a sense of it's big corporations that make famous people, if you know what I mean. Um, they don't have to be the most gifted person, but they might be the best looking person or whatever it was and they get promoted. But even at, you know, in, the, in the general kind of music scene, you might not be the most gifted musician, but all of a sudden you've got people who, who are just really well known, but they're not, they don't necessarily have the greatest ability. And I think in the same way that for us, when we take our natural abilities and understanding, but there's also a grace that can come upon me for me to do things that I would never have been able to do otherwise. So take into account your natural abilities, but don't let them confine you or define you. The next level is what you love. So God puts his desires in your heart. And purity comes when your heart is yielded to God. So I'd say do a heart journey before assuming that you know what are pure desires in your heart. And these are some questions. You know, what are the deep righteous desires of your heart? What causes a holy discontent in you? So there's the positive and there's sometimes that negative. It's like, man, what just like... Man, I, I hate seeing people in poverty or I hate, you know, thinking of people that are, you know, that are living on the streets or I, I hate when, you know, when churches are preaching bad doctrine or something, you know, there might be something that really stirs, not a, a negative, but a holy discontent. I'm like, I'm just not, I'm not content to see that going the way that it's going. I want to see change. I want to see life come. I want to see reformation come. And it really, and it comes out of some of these, you know, lower level things. It's like, but that's not how the kingdom of God is designed to operate. That's not how people should be living. There's, there's an injustice that's happening on earth and it, it stirs something in you to want to go out and, and reach out to those things. But again, you can, see, you can see people in poverty and you think, oh, I wanna, yes, I've got to go save them. I've got to do stuff. And you're out in the streets helping all of these people, and, but you haven't done a heart journey. So then you develop this Messiah complex because it's actually out of a neediness to help other people. That's, that's what's drawing you out there. So it's actually a brokenness in you that's causing you to do good things but out of the wrong motivation. Okay? So your heart is not pure, so then you don't know, well, well I love this, so it must be God. I'm, I'm some, no, not necessarily. So again, prioritize as we go through the steps. That's why it's there, you know, step number five. Because when you do all of the other things, then all of a sudden there's a purification that comes. There's an ability to discern, I love this and this is why. It's not a selfish ambition. It's not for my own. You know, yes, somebody wants to be a famous, wants to be famous. I was like, well, why do you want to be famous? You know, oh, I don't. And then we can Christianize and say, oh, well, I just want to influence people. Well, maybe, or maybe you just actually have this big ego that wants people to look at you and, and stroke you and you need you know, affirmation from everybody. And I'm not saying that's the case, but, and we don't judge that, but if, we, if we're doing this process, then we'll know, no, I've, I've done that hard journey. I feel like God's dealt with my ego. I felt like he's dealt with that, that sin and he's worked all of that stuff out. So then there becomes a purification. I know what's in my heart. I know that's the Lord. 
And I want to encourage you, you might go, well, I feel like this is what I love. And then you go through a heart journey and it comes out the other side and those things are exactly the same. But you know that they've come from a pure place. If you start with what you love first and then try and fit your calling or God's kingdom DNA into it, you're probably going to miss it. And that's again, we try and, you know, well, we've got this unrighteous design that we try and Christianize it to make it palatable for our own conscience. It's not meant to operate that way. What you love to do is important, but it's not the most important thing. God may call you to lay down what you love to do in order to serve him in a place or for a season. So even yield your love, yield your desires before the Lord. So you might say, yes, Brad, I put that desire in you, but there's something that I have for you to do now that doesn't look like that thing. So to be, be diligent in that process. Yield yourself to him. What's that uh, verse? I think it's in a psalm. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And I think there's two elements of that. When you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll pour his desires into your heart. So he'll give you desires in your heart. But when you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll also give you the desires that are in your heart. Because there's something, that purification process, that all of those desires that are distorted or not coming from God get filtered out. And then we're able to do things. You know, we're able to pray, you know, when, when uh, I think it's in John, but he says, you know, whatever you pray in my name, then I'll do that for you. Okay? Because we know in the name of God is in the character of Christ. So if we pray in the name of Christ, we're praying in his character, from his nature. Okay? So as you're being formed into the likeness of Christ, your prayers become pure. Because your heart is becoming pure. So you can pray things and the Lord says, yes, absolutely. Because you're praying in complete alignment with his, his will and his desires. Because God would hear your prayer and say, that's exactly what I would have prayed. He wants to have those prayers, yeah? I want to pray like that where I say, God, I, I pray this, uh, this desire. And God says, absolutely, because that's exactly what I would have prayed. And we're not thinking, oh, what would God like in this situation? It's the embodiment of Christ manifesting through our lives. Yield your love. And then the final element is your context. This is where the rubber hits the road. <laughs> where has God currently placed you? And this is the reality. So we don't try and even change our context, but we let it flow up because God might have placed you in a place that you think, this is not where I'm supposed to be, Lord. You know, my prophetic destiny is to be this and to do this and do all these amazing things. And God's like, yes, but I got you here for a season, for a reason. And it's not just even in a workplace. It's lots of places where you are geographically, where you are, where you work or where you study, where you socialize. So most of us have a few places that we spend our time. It might be home or work or hobbies. Each of these contexts are places where God wants to see his kingdom come and disciples made. So you might say, why am I stuck in this stupid job for? Well, if I understand that I'm here to bring the kingdom and to be like Christ, to be not just formed into his likeness, but to release the reality of his likeness onto people. If I'm here to love God and love people and make disciples, release the kingdom. You know, if I have all of these gifts on me, if I have the natural abilities, it's like, how much more reason do you need to be a blessing in that place? You have the very grace of God to, to do amazing things. And I'm not saying you're going to be stuck there forever. But sometimes we go, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to wait until God puts me in the perfect position and then I'll start doing stuff for God. Well, then it's not really, it's not really just an outworking on your life. It's like you, you want it for something else. It's not just a natural overflow. But as we understand these things and we're building on the right foundation, it's like, man, no matter where I am, 
You just try and stop me from prophesying over people. You just try and stop me from loving people. You just try and stop me from telling people about Jesus. And I don't mean in an awkward, like, pressuring people kind of way. But like, I don't need to be anywhere. I could be sitting at a bus stop. I could be talking to my neighbor. I'm just, I'm just constantly looking for opportunities to love on people and to serve them and to, and to release the graces that God has on my life. So we do need to build from the foundation up. Some people start with their context and then try and fit all the other stuff into that. And that doesn't work. If you start in any one of these steps and do it in the wrong way, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a squeeze. It's going to be, you know, round peg in a square hole. Because like, when you start at the bottom, you, are, you yield yourself to God. It takes yielding. It takes surrendering. It takes a letting go. And then the Lord starts to build and build and build and build. And then you find yourself in a place and you're like, man, I don't, it doesn't really matter where I am because God can use me. And that doesn't mean that, but if I yield myself to this context, if I yield myself to God, he might leave me here forever. Like, don't, you don't worry about that sort of stuff because God knows exactly what he's doing. And, he'll, and I, I believe that he'll speak to you when it's time for you to move out. When it's time for that season to shift, he'll speak to you and he'll open the right doors and he'll give you the opportunities that you need. So again, we might go through this process and then we come to realize that we are in the wrong context, in the wrong place. Maybe we just took a job out of high school because that was all that was going and we find ourselves after 15 years like, oh wow, I actually, I've gone through this, I actually don't think this is where God has for me. It's comfortable and it's, you know, it's, a, it's money coming in, but then the Lord's like, no, but there's actually something else and I want you to move on. Knowing all these things can determine your context or you need to work with God to figure out how all these gifts and callings can be used in your current context. So again, our context is important. You know, what you love, I think sometimes even in the church we can diminish what's on people's hearts because we're not willing to take them through a process. When we talk about ministry and, and mission, often then the church takes the responsibility of those things. And we say, well, we'll do all of the mission and the ministry and we'll put all of these parameters and these defining lines and you must come out of whatever context you're in and you must come into our artificial context that we've created with all of these people that aren't, would not socialize with each other outside of that. We're going to create this artificial context. You come in and then we can put the rules in and the strategies and everything. And you just have to follow along in the line and do, you know, do your job in the ministry. I'm not cynical at all. Um, no, no. But sometimes that's what it is because we don't trust that if we release people and say, no, no, don't do anything here, you're already doing a whole lot. You're bringing the kingdom and making disciples out there and you're becoming formed to the lights of Christ. We don't trust that people actually go and do that. We think, no, no, if we're not, you know, molding them and shaping them and controlling them in some way, how can we trust that they'll really go and follow Jesus? Well, if you're building this stuff, if the church is built on that right foundation, you're going to pick it up just from being in the environment and it's going to get formed into you. So no matter where you are, you understand I'm here to bring his kingdom. I'm here to love God and love people. I'm here to make disciples. I'm here to be formed into the likeness of Jesus. So it doesn't matter where I am. As a missionary for God, all of those purposes, they're built into my life. I know who I am. I know who God has called me to be. I know my identity in Christ. I know the gifts and the graces that God has poured out onto my life. I know where I'm skilled and I'm able. So God, you can put me anywhere and I'll be successful. You can put me anywhere and I'll make an impact because I'm not defined by the context that I'm in. You could have a really bad boss or a really annoying job, or whatever it might be, but you will have an impact if you understand what your life is built upon, and it's built upon the right things. And that's how God wants to do He wants to be able to send you anywhere, 
And you, and you do the things that Jesus did. Jesus wasn't concerned what town he was in, whose house he was invited in. I mean, there was times when he couldn't perform miracles because of their lack of faith, and I understand those things, but he still went there, and he still performed a few miracles amongst them. Even when there was all of this opposition against him, he knew who he was, he knew what was on him, and he still just did what the Lord told him to do. His words, I only go, I only do what I see the Father doing. He built, his life was built on the right foundation. He knew who he was. And for me, that's what a fruitful life looks like. It doesn't, it doesn't look like something. It looks like whatever the Lord has for you. But primarily, it's about it looks like love. It looks like someone who is a laid down lover of God. who can be used in any context to bring his kingdom. And as I was saying before, yeah, to be... That's why for us, when we say with these forms, you know, write your name down. We're not going to be sucking all of your time out, you know. So, well, you've got to be here and you've got to do all this sort of stuff. That's like minimal just to get things done and be functional, okay. But wherever you are, my, my heart's desire is that wherever you are, in every context that you find yourselves in, whether it's a stay-at-home mother, a CEO of a company, whatever it might be, in any context that you understand, man, I'm here to bring the kingdom of God. I'm here to make disciples. I'm here to, to be formed into his likeness. I'm here to love people in this place. And that's when we'll see the kingdom of God come. Because too often people get taken out of their context and into some sort of made-up context within the church. And all of those people, they never hear about the gospel because our blinders get put on. And we think, well, I don't, I don't minister to people. I'm just here to work. It's just my job. This is just my job. I get paid. I'm not paid to evangelize. I'm not paid to bring the kingdom. I'm just paid to do my job. I said, well, God's paying your bills ultimately. But you are, because it's, like, it's not like a job that you have to do. It's who you are. Jesus didn't do what he did because he's like, well, I've got a job to do. So I better do it. So that's who he was. It just naturally flowed out of him. Even to the point where, you know, he's, he's reclining at the table with a friend and some random woman comes in and starts weeping over his feet. We don't know anything of any prior interaction with this woman. And she, just, she knew who he was. There's a drawing to him, to the nature of God, the very presence of God. So again, it's not that you, if, you know, it's not that you be dishonoring to to your boss or your workplace or people there but it's like man try and stop me from doing what the lord has for me not in an arrogant way not in a pushy way but just in a like man it's just going to leak off me where even if, if someone says you shut your mouth and don't preach the gospel then people would just come and be drawn you know they're drawn people are drawn to jesus so our heart is for you to be released in that context now the lord might call you to serve in you know in facilitating the equipping of the saints here and and bless that too um, but, but for me, so another small principle, I know we're going over time, but it's, maybe it's not important, but I just want to say it anyway. Has anyone heard of the six degrees of separation? Okay, so it's a, a, a principle where every single person on the face of the earth is connected relationally but through six different people. Okay, so that would take somebody in the UK right now, their name's John, and, and they would be connected to me through six different relationships so let's say well so john's mother um yes john's got a mother it's one and then his mother has a friend who knows this person who lives in perth and this person who lives in quinana and this person who lives on my street and this person who lives me knows me yeah so there's connected there they reckon it's actually down to like 4.2 um with facebook and social media and those sorts of things but very interesting so um and they've done you know studies 
and lots of different experiments of it and found it to be true. But for me, there's a, there's a principle in that, a missional principle, that if every person is connected through six different relationships, as soon as we draw somebody, someone gets saved and we take them out of their context, and I'm not talking about somebody who's a drug addict hanging around drug addicts, they get saved and we say, oh, you just stay around. They might need to be removed socially and relationally from a people for a time for the Lord to you know, free them, heal them, do all that sort of stuff. But if we all of a sudden go, well, you could minister to the people on your street. We're going to take you out and we're going to get you to minister over here to these bunch of strangers. All of those people in those connections get cut off. The gospel flow gets cut off from those people. The kingdom doesn't get proclaimed and people might put their blinders on. You're, the, the street that you live on, the neighbors that you live, that are either side of you and across the road, there's an opportunity that you have there to bless them and to release the kingdom and to pray for them and to minister to them. When Jesus says, love your neighbor, you know, he, he meant it in a, in a global sense and in a, you know, in a local sense as well. You know, I say to people, it's like you want to be sent to the nations. Well, let God send you to your neighbors. Start somewhere. Do something. We think, well, when, when God does this, then I'll start doing my part. Step in today, start pursuing these things, not when they need to happen, but because it's the calling of God on your life. All right, let me pray. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father. We just thank you, Father God, that you are shifting and shaking the foundations of your church, Lord. That, Father, we're going to, I just believe, Lord, that we are going to go through a time where we step out of this performance-oriented nonsense, Lord. And Father, we're going to, you're going to shift the foundation, Lord, that righteousness is going to come to your bride, a purity is going to come to your bride, Father, that that right kingdom understanding, kingdom culture, kingdom DNA will be so immersive, Father, the leaven of the kingdom, Lord, that it would begin to penetrate your church, Father, the leaven of the kingdom would be released in your bride, Father, before it's released in the world, Lord, that we would not look to having revival, Lord, but we'd look to having reformation of your bride, Father, so that whatever comes in revival as you pour out your spirit, Lord, it will be pure, Lord, that, Lord, that we would have something worth reproducing in the church, Father, that we would have a bride, Lord, worth reproducing, Father, that's going to reflect your kingdom and your nature to the world, Father, not empire building, Lord, but kingdom building, Father, not people running after Holy Spirit gifts, Lord, but people running after the very embodiment of the nature of Christ in their life, Father. Hearts being healed, Lord. We pray, Father, a blessing even over, over heart life, Lord, and, and the ministry, Father, that is there to bring reformation to hearts, Lord, to bring a, um, a focus, Lord, on the healing of hearts, Father. And Lord, that you would start with us, Lord, that we would be laid down, yielded lovers to you, God. Lord, just letting go of all of our ambition, Lord, or any pride, Father, any ego, Lord, and we say, Father, we just want what you what you've got for us, Lord. We just, we just want to desire what you desire, Father. And we yield ourselves to you, Lord. And Father, I thank you for the people here, Lord. I do pray grace upon their lives, Father, to continue to enter into the reality of the life of Jesus, the embodiment of Christ, that heart healing, heart restoration, heart reformation, Father, repentance, Lord, that changing of the mind, that changing of our reality, Father. We just pray a blessing, upon everyone here in Jesus' name. Amen.